Hey, I'm Tom Bartels from GrowFoodWell.com. And I am still, to this day, Darren Parmenter. Every day. I am still employed by CSU Extension here in La Plata County. Every day. Every day. Almost every day. You think about it every day. Once a week, we are the garden guys, and we solve problems. This is episode 18 of Solutions for People Growing Food in the Four Corners region, so the garden guys can vote. Yes. Which is good. As an entity. We can put a sticker on our logo. (laughs) I vote for gardening. Yes. For any of you listeners out there that are eaters, that's why we do this show. Because it does have a universal appeal to people that like good food and growing their own food, which tends to be the best food you can get. We like the banter. We like the laughter. We like to have fun for 30 minutes. But really, I mean, Tom's 100% correct. This is... About, you know, trying to grow your own food, trying to reduce footprint, trying to increase the nutrient density into your diet, and all those wonderful things about being outside. Now, last week, we had a show on various tips. Most popular show oh of the Oh my God, so many people heard that. And yeah. So we decided, okay, we got other tips. So here you, here you go. You guys, right, this is the, the middle of July, right? Yeah. So... You know, we talk about the show and like, yeah, this is boom, 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 spring. Like, we're getting ready. Everything's a big step, big step. July. Okay. All right. We got our stuff in. You know, now maybe not we're going to say we rest, but it's not going to be the hot topic Yeah. that some of our spring and fall topics are when we're... Scrambling. Yeah. You're getting ready to plant. You are getting your stuff started inside. You're trying to deal with the freeze, the oh no moment. And mm. then... Okay, we got everything in. Everything's thinned out. We're doing good. We can weed once in a while. We can, you know, occasionally harvest our early season crops. But it's not until boy September is gonna just kick us in the butt because we're harvesting everything, and here comes that last for that first frost of the year. And right. I can't find a ball jar to save my life because yeah. everybody everybody else is canning yeah. ball jars. So like, what am I gonna but do? But we're not there yet. Calm down. Back. Yeah, I know. I give chill out, man. Um, my yeah, you st- you're starting to get a little bit good. tense. There. It's like I lost a couple more hairs just yeah. in the last minute. Now that we have that chance to sit back and enjoy your garden as it's growing, you're not hopefully scrambling anymore. Your plants are coming in at whatever success rate is available to that particular situation. So now you should be up sitting back and taking stock of, huh, what would I want to change next year? Yeah. And how could you use some of these tips that we might run through in next year's garden or in this fall's uh, production of uh, produce that you're going to process for the winter or various things that might come from the garden. So what it does is it gives you a little time to think about how is the success rate of your garden? What is growing that works for you? What were you surprised by this year? And kind of work all that in and digest it, if you will, to figure out how you can do things better each year. And that's part of the fun is redesigning this and kind of tweaking it to your advantage. So you're kind of taking the combination of the continuing education that you're receiving with the show with the hands-on education that you're receiving in the garden. Exactly. We hope you're doing your own kinds of um, Sherlock Holmes type mystery yes, unveiling. That. Yes. So that you I had f- my pipe and my fedora on in the garden the other day. Did you really? No. Did the neighbors call the police? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this imposter? Yes. He's well, not the real Sherlock Holmes. He's in a bathrobe. Very strange. <laughs> so let's start out with a subject that Darren and I differ on uh, as far as the favorite plant that I have out there growing right now, which is corn. Least favorite plant. And his least favorite plant for various reasons. But 
he would have thought of corn as a sweet, luscious, you know, ear of corn that you would eat on the 4th of July. The Olathe corn comes in and everybody goes gaga over it. It's, it's really the typical corn people think about when they grow corn. Right. I mean, that, there's that difference where there's sweet corn and then there is field corn and then there is corn for cornmeal or dent corn. So there's a fair number of different types of corn. Um, sweet corn was definitely not the first type of corn used by anybody. It wasn't used to be sitting there around a campfire and eating a ear of corn, you know. It's, with little bibs. You know, yeah, with your, your three teeth that nothing yeah. got stuck in, so it probably <laughs> was beautiful. But it kind of started out as something that you would actually dry and utilize throughout the entire year. That was the key, right? Is yeah. actually subsistence and survival. Yeah. You couldn't do that off sweet corn. Right. It was just rot. Yeah. And, and you know, sweet corn... The beauty of sweet corn is it's kind of started as a hybrid and we are able to get what we call sugar sweet or sugar enhanced or all these ones that have a really slow conversion from sugar to starch. Dent corn or field corn or corn for cornmeal has a lot more starch com- you know, component to it. I like sweet corn and I don't by any means put the same amount of effort into growing corn that Tom does because Tom is growing for purposes other than fresh corn, which is... 100% admirable and pretty impressive. I don't know that it's that impressive. It's super easy to grow field corn or dent corn. And I'm growing a, a particular variety that's grown in the Four Corners for over a thousand years. It's Hopi blue corn. And it just is the easiest thing to grow. And these, it's wonderful to see a plant succeed year after year because it's a very strong grower. It gets to 10, 11 feet, and you're getting two on average, two nine inch ears off each plant. And you get a ton of compost material. All that stock material is really good for the compost. But I love the corn, this particular flower corn, because of its storability, its ease of growing, ease of use. And I love cornmeal pancakes and cornbread and all the stuff you can make throughout the winter with it. You need a a meal grinder. Or you can use the Champion Juicer that has the milling attachment. That works for cornmeal as well. And you can usually find those in people's basements or yard sales. Nobody's using those old Champions from the 80s and 90s. But they're built like tanks, and they're really good for cornmeal. If you're part of the Champion company and listening to our show, feel free to become a (laughs) sponsor sponsor of the Gardegas. Brought to you by Champion Juicers. That that would actually work. I know, yeah. Find it in your next-door neighbor's basement. (laughs) Basement, yes. Pennies on the dollar. But there's no more effort probably for any of us when we go through the food processing and the food preservation piece at the end of the season. So this is just one step in the week of Tom's food preservation is the drying and grinding of corn. Yeah. Yeah. A day, really. I'm only doing 200 square feet. So it's about 400 years of corn, something like that. So 400 years gets you how much a meal? That's enough pancakes to get us through the winter. Easy. Okay. So we're measuring in pancakes. Oh, yeah. Okay. It's a form of measurement now. It is a form okay. of measurement. I have okay. 16 pancakes per square foot in my garden. Okay. Yeah. You know, last year, my kid grew three pancakes. High. Taller. If that's a form of measurement. <laughs> <laughs> so on, standing on end, pancakes on <laughs> yeah. these eight inch. So you grew... No, we're, we're like flapjacks, flapjack. so like on the okay, plate, like a right? Stack. Yeah, okay. so like an inch. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, that's the the issue on corn. If you haven't grown corn in the four corners, it does really well. You do need a little space because it kind of takes over a bed. It's probably going to be the strongest grower in that bed. So you dedicate a certain area. You also want to plant corn in blocks if you're right. not used to that because it's a wind pollinated crop. You can do it by hand and help them along by. Um, 
kind of knocking off the tassels right when the pollen is being created onto a newspaper, turn to the next plant and blow it off the newspaper into the other plant. It's actually quite easy and you can quickly help the, the pollination of those um, plants because sometimes you'll get, if it's during the time of the pollen being generated by the corn plant, and the silks and the tassels are both ready, but it's not very windy. You'll get partial germination. And those are the ears of corn where there's a row or three rows right. that never germinated. And it's because the wind didn't send pollen onto the silk ends on the, the bottom silk. So uh, you can help that along by actually helping pollinate during that process. And then you get full ears of corn. It's fun. Tom and I just walked the garden before we did the show. And you come up with all these ideas. And as we talk through the show all these other ideas come up, right? Like we can talk about the pollination of corn and then the pollination of other crops um, and why we plant in a block. And the and corn is a fascinating plant. And just what, you know, Tom had mentioned is that each silk is attached to a kernel of corn. Right. So if that one silk does not get pollinated, then you will see a gap in your corn, mm -hmm. which is why we want all the silks to come at once and then all the pollen at the same time. And that usually is not what happens. So that's the beauty of the wind pollinating across and you know continually new pollen is formed on a daily basis and new silks come out and then towards the end of the the, the pollen generating period you may not get those silks that uh, are are fertilized right mm -hmm. and a lot of times that's the end of the corn because that's the past the pollination part so the end of the corn is always bare of kernels and not always but you can it's not uncommon to see that end unpollinated. So that's the beauty of corn really is a silk is attached to a kernel. Right. Each kernel is an ovary that will eventually potentially form a new plant. It's the beauty of plants. That's one of the benefits of growing food at home is when you go out mid-season, late season, and you see what these plants do when they're really happy plants and they're in really good soil. And it's just amazing when you're yeah. connected with growing some, even just some of your own food. It really has... Uh, a value that doesn't show up on the pro-con list as much, but it is really this intrinsic connection that I get when I'm walking around all this food that's growing in my backyard. A couple of weeks ago, you gave the, the word of the week. What was that word of the week? That oh, the E.O. Wilson, biophilia? Biophilia. Yeah. I'm trying to use that almost on a daily basis. <laughs> I love that word. Paper or plastic? <laughs> biophilia, man. <laughs> So corn is a dioecious plant, which is a male and female flowers in the same plant. One of the other dioecious plants that we have is our squashes, our zucchinis. So we have male flowers and female flowers. And I think that's probably a good thing for the listeners to understand is what a male flower looks like and what a female flower looks like. And we can all probably guess through the birds and the bees process that the male flowers don't form fruits. It's the female flowers. So if you look at your squash plant... And you find a bunch of flowers, but you don't have a bunch of fruit. It means you're probably not having that pollen transferred from the males to the females. Um, the male flowers tend to be lower on the plant and they have a much longer stem. Whereas the female flowers have a kind of a compact stem, which is really just an ovary that's waiting to be pollinated. Uh, bees do an amazing job. Flies do an amazing job with the pollination process. But if you're not getting that, then you have to put on your wings and get your little wand and go out there and you become the pollinator. With, do you have to wear the antenna hat with the... Yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow, you're serious. I do. I have a tutu. <laughs> now, is that in addition... Sorry, that was not actually your question, was it? No, I, just, I didn't want to go that far. That's I just gave you a little bit of information. TMI. That was, yeah. yeah. Sorry about that. I don't have a tutu. It's I see. Um, my and neighbors. It, you do uh, have the Sherlock Holmes... <laughs> costume on certain occasions and now you have the full bee out outfit. Yes. 
This is a government issue. Be outfit. No, no, no. This is private. This private. Is, yes, okay, yeah. This okay, is on my own time. Right. But you can go out there and you can. What some people will do is they'll take a Q-tip and take the pollen out of the male flower and then transfer it to the female. Well, you're jumping, which is a lot of work. Advanced stuff. Yep. Here. I would probably say the easiest thing for me to do is to pluck off a male flower. A male flower is good for one day, right? Like most anything male, we're really good for one day one and thing. then we're done. Yeah. So we get that one male flower, we pick it off, turn it upside down over the female flower and flick it. And then you can go another flower and flick it just so you're kind of potentially helping the pollinators out. Or if you don't have enough pollinators in your garden and you're just saying, I have all these flowers, but no fruit, then you got to kind of be the, the helper in the process. So you're volunteering to help with that plant. Yeah, I'm willing to volunteer. Leads us into volunteer plants, which is a whole different. You see how I did uh, that? I see that's a, a, a transition. A transition. Right? Yeah, well, uh, not a lead in, it's a trend. I'm trying to get my radio jargon. Oh, that's okay. a transition. It's a segue. Oh, segue. Yeah. I used to have one of those. <laughs> People did made you, fun of me. Did you do a tour around town? <laughs> yeah. um, so volunteer plants that come in in your garden of things you missed last year that come comes up on its own. Dill is obviously something that volunteers all the yeah, time. Yeah, receives itself. Yep. And then it pops up like, wow, I didn't plant that. But dill is always great to have around. doesn't really interfere with much of anything. No. Um, you can chop it whenever it gets in the way and use it. And potatoes comes to mind because I have one bed out there that I had a pretty good intensive planting of potatoes last year. These are Peruvian purples. They came in. I harvested them last year, but during the harvesting of potatoes, you, you miss inevitably one. you miss the smaller Two, ones. Three. And then they will stay under the soil over winter and sprout early. And then you've got a new potato growth in that garden. Now, with potatoes, they tend to work out fine. You, if you missed them and they replanted themselves and they went dormant all winter and they planted it's just like the ones that i kept in the root cellar and yeah, it's the genetically new, the same as the, the parent plant seed potato for this year so it's volunteering to grow another season and that works you will probably here's what happens with potatoes is the reason you missed them is because they were small so if it's a tiny potato a one inch potato or something it's not going to grow a big tuber you yeah might, it's kind of might, a runt yeah you might get a small soup potato or something and if there's a bunch of them sure you could glean some food out of that bed and not have to replant it if you get enough volunteers usually they just get in the way because the the vegetative growth of a potato growth above ground really kind of elbows out a lot of other plants yeah. and if it's not going to gain you much in food value then you might just pull that that volunteer potato plant but i'm going to see how this this it's a good experiment goes. right yeah, it's That's like, like 32 square experiment. feet and it's like oh it's just full of potatoes right now but they're probably all smaller potatoes that all volunteered i, I didn't plant anything this year in that bed but it's fully green so so you missed gonna, a lot of potatoes i missed a bunch of them yeah which yeah. is not uncommon yeah. yeah so that's one thing if you see a volunteer carrot come up the second year not the same thing Right. here's a biennial that's coming the second year and it's going to send all of its good flavorful material in the root crop straight to the seed head. So if you tried to harvest that and eat it, you would not be very happy. Yeah. So biennials, first year vegetative, second year reproductive. So it's yeah. a two year cycle. Annual is one, perennial is yearly. What else do you see volunteer come up that you um, let, let go? Like some greens, some lettuce? I had ORAC. We just yeah, saw some of we, that. Yeah, we occasionally will see the lettuce that can overwinter and come up, you know, but that's typically a plant itself is overwintering. I've never really had lettuce seed come back up into the garden. And we sometimes will tell people, oh, you always want to have those kind of the pollinators or the pretty flowers attached to the garden. So two that I've known that 
folks, especially like in the community garden or the school garden, I can tell you this has happened in Needham Garden multiple times, is that teachers, classes, whatever it is, they'll plant red amaranth or they'll plant sunflowers, both of which have really pretty flowers, but both that produce prolific amounts of seeds that are pretty viable and then come up the next year. We love both of those plants. We love the sunflowers because they're great for pollinators. We love the amaranth, but they just become invasive or potentially invasive if you let them continue to seed out. So if you were going to buy some raspberries and put them in, there's two main categories for raspberries. Right. right? There's the ever-bearing, and then there's the June-bearing. And that's what I'm thinking the two different names are. Summer-bearing. Summer-bearing. would be the June-bearing. ever-bearing. Yes. On the summer-bearing raspberries, it's going to set fruit on the canes that grew out from last year. And so this is a one and done kind of growth cycle that would be more like a a determinate tomato. It just has one set point. It has a fruiting period and it's done. So yeah, so here's how I categorize it. The easy ones are ever bearing. Easy ever. Easy ever. Because they, they have a longer fruiting period. So you can keep going out there and gleaning raspberries week after week for a longer period as opposed to the summer bearing or the single bearing a variety that just kind of blooms all at once, here's your fruit, and then they're done. So at the end of the season, we're going to have different ways of kind of pruning out yeah. the different plants that were, or the canes that were growing fruit. Yeah. Easy equals ever. Ever. Which means you can pretty much just take everything out. Yeah, because they grow new canes every year. New anyway. canes that come back, and you get an ever-bearing fruit. It right. starts at the tip of the, the cane, and yep. then it kind of works its way down. Yep. Summer-bearing... You have to select out the canes. The new canes that grew this year are next year's fruit-bearing fruit. ones. And this is only on the summer-bearing or the single-bearing raspberry. And so it's a little harder. you got to watch exactly which canes came up this year and save those because it won't regrow next year. So they're, to me, it's like the, the summer-bearing are kind of a pain and they only fruit once. They maybe give you bigger fruit, maybe typically. sometimes bigger fruit, but as far as a per square foot basis, I think I'm getting more fruit from the everbearing because they just keep fruiting after, you know. And I'm all about the not having to remember which canes were which. Easy easy is good. Yes, and having to go, and if you guys have ever worked in raspberries, it's not the most enjoyable experience, especially if there's, and blackberries are even worse because they can be really thorny. Right. So you're going in and you're pruning out certain canes and then you get kind of cranky and upset. So again, yes, easy equals ever. Or ever equals easy. Ever equals easy. Okay. Yeah. Now, since we're talking about berries and walking around and gleaning food off of these um, plants that are around our yards, let's think about other plants that can create what people call the edible landscape. Right. That you might not think about. We have gooseberries out here, which are edible. Yep. They're okay. It's not like we wait all year to get the gooseberry yields. <laughs> You're going to make gooseberry jam Exactly. All night. But it's an edible plant that's in your yard. And if you're, for me nowadays, if you're going to plant a new tree, it might as well be a fruit tree. Gooseberries, josta berries, currants. You know, currants are a great plant to have out there. And as far as having trees in the area that might be fruiting, but they're not being used... Yeah, there's a lot of those. There's a, an entity that helps with the gleaning process of yeah. uh, unused fruit, yeah. shall we say. We started this a number of years ago with, we actually started with Apple Days, which was started right. back in 2009, I think. We, a group of us sat around the table and said, hey, how do we have a fall celebration that's 
you know, celebrating something that's potentially creating conflict between bears and humans. Um, and is going greatly underutilized within, at this point, it was the city of Durango within our city limits. So we got together and decided how do we actually take advantage of all these apples that are falling, are going underutilized, aren't being utilized to their full potential. We ended up harvesting, I think, 6,000 pounds of apples in one weekend. From just trees that weren't being used. Yeah. you know, And so we kind of threw a party in Buckley Park and we had some apple presses out there to make juice and... We had some bands and some three-legged races and all that fun stuff. And we continue to do that typically the first Saturday in October every year. We're going to continue to have that party for the apples. Up until that point, that's just the apple. You don't include the peaches, the plums, the cherries, the pears, all those other fruit that are in our environment, that are in our neighborhoods that, you know, maybe the person has left or the person is too old to climb the ladder and doesn't want to risk that. So there's all these trees out there that go underutilized. Um, you can get a hold of the folks at the Good Food Collective who have now taken over this program and done a fantastic job with it. Uh, I think it's goodfoodcollective.org and then just click on their fruit gleaning program. And what you can do is one of two things. If you have the tree that has too much fruit, you can sign your tree up on that list and then someone will contact you. Or if you're looking for fruit, you can go through that list and say, ah, someone just put a cherry tree up on the list and I want to make a cherry pie or I want fresh cherries. And then the next one that's going to come up is going to be the apricots and then the peaches and plums and then the apples. So throughout that growing season, you can look at this list, which is online at goodfoodcollective.org and either grab some fruit from somebody or put your tree on there. They also do like Thursday happy hour, you know, they do uh, a group gleaning program. So similar to what we do at the school gardens, we get some folks out there and they just all harvest together and they can take some of the fruits of their labor. Anything in excess goes to our food insecure populations. So it's a win-win. And are they GPSing these trees? I mean, are they actually keeping them on a map so that they're in years to come, they still know where these trees are? That would be a great project. So maybe they are thinking of doing that or they are doing that. I haven't seen that map. Is there a map? I'm assuming there might be at some point. I heard talk of that years ago that students from Fort Lewis were helping yeah. uh, geolocate these trees so that we could have a map of mature fruit-bearing trees that were underutilized and that we don't have to figure out where they are. They're it's listed. a great idea, yeah. It's a neat program. And I don't know how far that map has gotten forward, but uh, maybe somebody can edify us and send us an email note at hey we're on this hey yeah, look right. here and this is, is the new yeah. updated map we'd like to hear that and you can email us at gardenguys at kscht.org every tuesday we go through the piles of emails i mean it's oh, laborious it's, uh, we have a whole room full of emails now i've just been printing every email and it's just reams and reams of people well they just keep asking questions we're backlogged at least a year so we need to get the three hole punch out and do some binders yeah i'm hoping that's your department because you have all that the dipple board kind of yeah, I like the organization. regimen. So I yeah. think that's, you know, okay. I'll give you the key to that room, but careful when you open the door, it's under pressure. So, Hey Tom, what's the word of the week? Word of the week, 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 week. <laughs> this week it's proboscis. Proboscis. Yes. And you can say that on public radio. I am proboscis. Yep. I'm proboscis. Do you know anybody who's anti-biscus? I've never met an anti-biscus. N- nor would I want to. No, that'd be hard to deal with. Yeah. So I've never met actually anybody with a proboscis. So tell me the word of the week, the definition of a 
Well, a proboscis, if you've ever seen a moth, and specifically recently, one of the most prolific, different word, oh. moths uh, around the area has been a gypsy moth. Um, also, so the gypsy moth has a prolific proboscis. That's probably proper to best provide proof that it has a prolific proboscis. So this is part of the Lepidoptera family of of insects, which is also our butterflies and our moths. All I think they all have the proboscis. That's how they feed. So mm-hmm. that's why certain types of flowers are better for butterflies than they are for bees, right? And, so and those bell flowers are good for insects with a proboscis. We're going to see how many times we can say this in one show. Whereas a ray flower, like a sunflower, is really good for a bumblebee or a pollinator that can go across all those little ray flowers to pull up pollen. Right. So a little bit of a difference between the two. And it's fascinating to watch how certain insects have evolved with certain blossom shapes. Now, I love the hummingbird moth. Like, I, again, I think it's, it's pretty amazing evolution, like how it actually can flutter and feed at the same time like a hummingbird. So like any moth or butterfly, there's a younger stage, the caterpillar stage, which sometimes can cause up some havoc. So with the hummingbird moth, this would be the tomato hornworm. Is that correct? That is. Yeah. The monster of the garden. For those of you that have had tomato hornworms, uh, they can pretty much strip a full tomato plant in a day or a day and a half. So they're voracious feeders. Incredible feeders. But because of that, they're relatively easy to eradicate from your garden because they tend to be huge and bright green with this single horn on its head. Okay. And it will just completely devastate the leaves on one tomato plant at a time. They don't move around a lot. Therefore, they're pretty easy to catch. So, yeah, they're, they're slow. They're super yeah. slow. So and they're big, green, big horn. Yeah. You just put a glove on if, you don't, if you're too squeamish to touch it. It's not going to hurt you, but... Put a glove on, grab it, throw it to the chickens, put it in a bucket of sudsy water. There's all kinds of ways to uh, have it meet its demise. Um, but if you leave it in your tomato patch, it will continue eating one tomato at a time. Just the plant itself. Okay. It just completely wipes out the plant. So it's a really good one to check. You can go out at night with a flashlight. They show up incredibly well with a flashlight. And you can just pick them off and you're done. Okay. One of the other moths that we see in the garden right now is that Look, kind of that flittery, flighty little white moth that's everywhere. You, you can see a dozen or so at a time. Um, in most cases, this is going to be the adult stage of the cabbage looper, right? And the cabbage looper is one that's an easier, also an easier one to identify where it is. Well, I mean, it's a small kind of green one, but when it moves, the back end slides up to the front end and forms a loop in the body, and then the front end moves out. So it does. That's why they call it the cabbage looper. The looper will kind of decimate potentially or definitely puts big holes in a lot of our brassica leaves. So the cabbage, the kale, the cauliflower, the broccoli leaves. If it gets into the head of a cabbage plant, like into the actual the cabbage itself, it can cause some damage. Yeah, because you'll be pulling layers back and it'll just be... It's like a whole, 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 Yeah, it hole. goes through all the layers and yeah. it's just going straight down through it. So that's one that, again, like if you see those... Pick them off, feed them to chickens, throw them in some sudsy water. Um, but they're kind of everywhere right now if you go out into the garden. Another tip, since this is our second tip show, is this time of year our basil, uh, some of our basil is wanting to go to seed. So yep. time to pinch off those blossoms. Uh, it's too early. And so you want to tell them, oh, nope, yep, slow keep it down, slow on, it yep, down. Keep producing. And so you might have some extra basil coming on or you might 
harvest some right now. And what's really handy as far as if you like pesto, which I love. Who doesn't? And if you have too much basil early on, you can simply pull the leaves of the plants that you're trying to trim or whatever, throw them in a Ziploc and chuck them in the freezer as is. Yeah. And they're just going to be fun. They're just going to freeze. Those leaves won't be damaged. And if you just wait them out in the freezer and then when the rest of your basil comes through at late season and then you're ready to make big batches of pesto, you pull those other leaves out of the freezer, mix them up with the leaves that you're making pesto with, blend the whole batch with your garlic and your olive oil and everything else. Right. And so now you've got all this finished pesto and put them in the half pint canning jars and throw them back in the freezer. Okay. And now you've got all these really nice ramekins, basically, of frozen pesto that you can pull out one at a time when you're ready to use it. But definitely go out and take a look at your herbs if you have them growing. Now might be a good time to trim some of that back and use it in the food dryer and then put it in jars and use it this winter. I also took some dill out a few days ago that was super fast growth. And I'm not ready, of course, for pickling, but I just dried it really quick. And so it's in stasis, basically waiting until I'm ready to do the pickling. Yeah. To recap, there's a whole bunch of tips in there. <laughs> so go back and listen to the story on the archives if you need a reminder. But basically, it's the time of year to take stock of your garden. Walk around. You're not necessarily planting much this time of year, but now is the time to stand there and just really with your cup of coffee in the morning or your gin and tonic at night or whatever your beverage of choice and just slowly walk through your garden and see what's happening. Connect with it. It'll emerge what your next job should be in the garden. Each garden speaks differently at different times yeah. and you have to just wander through it to see what needs to be done. But it's actually a fun time of year because you can pick and choose what chores you actually want to do. And this is when we, again, we say record or, yeah. you know, write down, hey, this worked well here. Hey, I didn't get anything coming up. Hey, I reseeded. I kind of put some new plants in middle of July. We're going to see how they do in the end of September but, because you get what you get. And I didn't throw a fit. See? See how that works? We're learning. Yeah. We're growing. It's all going to work eventually. You know, we're here, then we're not. That's yeah. it. And with that thought, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.